Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We've been on the road back and forth between Bear Lake and Salt Lake. We kind of got used to not going anywhere, but but the places that we have lately, after spending our whole lives being on the road all the time. But um, that's about to end this year. We're so happy to be past this pandemic as much as we are. It's always still scary. There's always things to worry about, but we're grateful. We wish we could have you on video today because we're up on top of a little mountainous knoll that overlooks Bear Lake. We can see the entire lake. Those of you that don't live anywhere near Bear Lake may have never heard. There's actually a lot of Bear Lakes, Linda. There's a big Bear Lake in California. But this is the Bear Lake on the border of Utah and Idaho. And it's about 20 miles long and about five miles wide. And it is the most gorgeous shades of blue. Oh my goodness, the hues and how that lake changes. And we've learned how many different colors of blue there are. There's dozens, right? Oh, multitudes. It's amazing. Um, and interestingly, today it's cold. Yeah, We've been for a change. boiling hot. We've just been frying with the heat in the summer. And now all of a sudden, I have on sweatshirts. <laughs> <laughs> and starting next week, the gathering begins, as we call it, because since our family is so spread out around the world, boy, do we, do we count on and do we rely on and do we love family reunions. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's other families that, that work as hard at and depend as much on their family reunion to get everyone together. But boy, oh boy, do we love it. I mean, we've got our son on, our way, on his way from Switzerland with his family and our daughter on her way from London with Permanently, her family. they're moving here in yeah, five days. That, that one is not going to be so distant. We've got our family from Maui, Hawaii on their way. And we'll all convene here starting next week and there will be 52 of us, right? Or yes. wait, 53. Yes. Well, there's a few um, young adults <laughs> that are not coming this year, but yeah, but it is getting to be pretty complicated logistically, but what a joy to be able to get physically together with anyone, let alone with all of our family after this pandemic. And so we're excited. Our son from Switzerland is the one in charge of the reunion this year. It rotates yeah. through the kids. The, the reunions sort of reflect the personality of the one who's in charge. <laughs> right. It's always fun. And, you know, it seems like <laughs> you'll identify with this. When things just get really hard, the thing that usually happens is it gets harder <laughs> and gets worse because poor Charity, our baby girl, who is 35, yeah. um, Boy, that, has been living in London with her husband uh, for uh, over five years now, and they've decided to move home. So when you decide to move home, what except happens? they would say they're moving away from home. That's they, right. They, they, they love that home. Their home. They They'll love probably it. end up back there at some point. I think they will because they adore it. But in the meantime, in five days, they've got to be out of the house. So what would happen? Uh, of course, uh, all the kids got sick. Um, <laughs> all four of them. Yesterday, all, the four of them threw up at school, so they 
had to bring them home. And, they got, and then they've all got colds. They've got twin babies, eight months old. They're sick. And her husband is out of commission. That was her last thing. That she said. <laughs> Which means he's sick. <laughs> he is very, very sick because he is not out of commission in any other circumstances. But it's okay because all they got to do is pack up their whole house and They're get all, moved out. Have these huge and, containers they've got to fill up in the next five days. And uh, people are bringing them food, and but they can't send their kids out because they're sick. And so, uh, you know, it's just life, isn't it? It's the oh, way it my goodness. Goes. Life with kids and family. What a, what a joy, but what a constant battle of survival, you know? It and is. we know many of you listeners have young families, and I sometimes think you must wonder, well, it's easy for Richard and Linda to do a a podcast every week and just sit there. They don't have kids underfoot it and is. <laughs> all the rest of this. And it is a different phase of life. But boy, we're involved in it. And as more and more of our kids move closer to us, I mean, I guess we had sort of the dispersal. And, and for a long time, only one of our nine lived anywhere near us. And they were in countries all over the world. And now it's kind of like a gathering. And it's so great in some ways, but um, we kind of hate to lose our London outpost. And, and uh, you know, we, we were lucky enough that they moved to places we like to visit. And the only thing better than having houses all over the world is to have kids all over the world with a guest room where you can go visit. <laughs> and these kids did definitely not have a guest room. <laughs> well, a uh, blow-up mattress, mattress, that yeah. can be a, that can be a guest Air room. Air mattress, right? yeah, the guest room was the living room. But um, how rude of them to move, and so that we don't have yeah, an excuse no, to go to London gosh. again. But we are so excited to have them home, close to us. We are so thrilled. Anyway, Maybe all that on. bantering is sort of a segue to, to get into this little mini theme we're doing that we're calling The Parental God. And some of you may wonder, well, why, you know, where are the Ayers who were used to having talked to us about marriage and about parenting and so on? Why are they doing this sort of theological thing and talking about the parental God? Well, there's two reasons, and, and they're both pretty related, I think, don't you, Linda? I mean, number one is, in our belief structure, in our, in our faith, in our personal testimonies, we believe that we have heavenly parents, and we believe that they're the ultimate parents, and we believe that we are striving to be the kind of parents that they are. We can learn so much from how God parents us. And it's so wonderful to think of God not only as a creator and as the master of the universe and so on, all-powerful, all-knowing, but also as a parent. That's where the love and the, the tenderness really comes in. And so we think it is a parenting subject. We think it ties in. We think it's something for all of us to aspire to. And the other reason we, we love to talk about this is because it affects our personal character. It affects our ability to be who we want to be. You know, the, the beautiful scripture in the New Testament that says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So trying to know all we can about God, particularly as a father, can really influence our families and can be so powerful in how we structure our own lives and how we, and, how, and it also, Linda, in what you're saying, 
in the times when we're overwhelmed, which is so often in families, we have someone else to rely on. We don't just rely on ourselves. We can exert our faith. And we feel like prayer, of all the prayers that are offered in the world, parental prayers, where essentially a parent, an earthly parent, is addressing a heavenly parent and asking for help with earthly children. <laughs> right. <laughs> who right. are really their brothers and sisters. Right. It just changes your mind so much about how you think of God when you think of him as a loving parent. I mean, obviously, I mean, we grew up with commandments and things that we need to do and parameters and so on. But I'm sorry that so many people think of God as vindictive and just waiting for us to make a mistake and then, you know, bringing down the uh, revenge and so on because we've been bad and so on. And I just think that is not the way a parent... Um, especially a godly parent would would um, deal with us, and so it just comforts me to know that there is a loving father there who really wants us to succeed and forgives us when we do our part, um, when we do things that are not right. And aren't you grateful for your faith? Uh, I think most of the listeners, tires on the road, are people of faith, although perhaps not all. But we live in a, a marvelous country where on public opinion polls over 90% of Americans say they believe in some form of a higher power. And when you say, well, what form of a higher power? It's kind of beautiful to think a parental form, a heavenly father, not just a term of respect, like you might call a priest a father or whatever, but a, a literal context of God as a loving parent. And, and it changes everything, as you point out, Linda. I mean, even something that can sound so harsh, like the word commandments, if you put them in the context of a parental God, what are commandments? They're loving counsel from a wise father. They're, they're, they're ideas and advice that will help us to be happier, right. which is what the goal of our Heavenly Father is that we can find joy. And isn't that what we do with our children? That's our goal, right? I mean, we, um, we've talked a lot of, through the years about family laws. <laughs> and, yeah, and now the fact yeah. is that we got wrapped up in it and we ended up having 33 family laws and nobody could remember what they were. And then our daughter coming to me one day when she was eight and saying, Mom, in the whole Bible, there's only 10 commandments. We have got to simplify this. This is crazy. And I think we are always struggling to come up with just the right things to make our children happy, the parameters that they need to have so they can be happy. Anyway. Absolutely. And what we want to do today along that theme is to sort of blend the idea of heavenly parents and our older brother, our eldest brother, Jesus Christ, our Savior, because there's such a beautiful tie-in and it's so relevant to families. So Maybe we could just read you one little paragraph that sort of gets into that. The oneness and perfection of the parental God of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother is literally embodied in their Son and our eldest brother, Jesus Christ. He is their manifestation and the essential and incomparable implementer of the plan of happiness. He perfectly exemplifies both of their characters and qualifies and qualities and stands at the model of all of what they are. He is the epitome and the exemplar of both the masculine and feminine. 
of all the divine qualities of the masculine and feminine. Now think about that for a minute. It's so remarkable. Um, I do a little uh, meditation every week on Sundays where I try to think and, and write a little about one aspect of the character or the nature of Christ. And by the way, you're all invited to follow that. I put it on Instagram every Sunday. And our Instagram address is pretty simple, just Richard Linda Iyer, all strung together. And when I do that, one of the things that always occurs to me on Sunday is I'm thinking about these meditations on the various aspects or facets of Christ, is I, I'm so impressed with how Jesus embodied all of the virtues. He embodied all of the things that we believe as humans are ennobling characteristics. And sometimes people, and this is kind of fraught with danger because it sounds like we're being too gender specific, but people do talk about masculine virtues and feminine virtues. And, you know, men and women can possess both of these, but but, you know, it's been common historically to think of feminine virtues as tenderness and nurturing and so on, and, and masculine vir virtues as courageous and strong, and all these blend together. But the point is that uh, Jesus exemplifies all of those virtues. And what I, what I find endlessly fascinating, Linda, is that Lao Tzu who was the founder of Taoism, who lived 600 years before Christ, actually said a fascinating thing, and we're gonna leave you to think about this during a brief break, and then we'll be right back. But here's what Lao Tzu said 600 years before Christ. If there ever appears on this earth one who is both the yin and the yang, that being will be God. The yeah. yin and the yang, the masculine and the feminine, Christ came 600 years later. He did embody all those virtues, and he is God. So we're going to launch into some fun further things about this in the next section. So hang on, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back having an interesting discussion today about um, not only the parental God, but his preeminent son, Jesus Christ. And I think we want, might read just one other little paragraph to kind of launch further into this. In God's eternal family, it is the perfect elder brother who created this world, who implemented the plan, and who has the power to heal, to save, and to bring us home. In Christ's clear statement of life's purpose, which can almost be read as a mission statement for eternity, he includes himself with our heavenly parents. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We know that Christ is like his Father to the degree that to know one is to know the other. In our purpose of this uh, knowing, we might ask two questions. What key roles does Christ play in mortality and eternity? And an even more basic question that should be perhaps come first. Within God's plan, is Christ the means or the end? 
I don't know why that question fascinates me so much, dear, but it really does. The question of the end or the means, you know, everything, everything sort of has those, every, every pursuit in life sort of has an end and a means, or in other words, a destination and a path, right? Or a goal and a plan. And it's really interesting to try to apply that to God and to our own families and to ourselves. I'll give you a quick example. Um, because sometimes people get confused between the means and the ends, and that, and that can be a little bit of a problem. Here's a simple example. Let's say you've got a little child who's a piano student taking piano lessons, as so many of you do. And let's say you ask that little girl, um, what's your goal, honey? What's your goal on the piano? And let's say she says, uh, well, to practice every day for an hour. And, and you might say, well, gee, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to say. But, but is that a goal or is that a plan? Is that the end or is that the means? And actually, of course, when you think about it, that's the plan. You, you practice for an hour every day. But what's the goal? What's the mean? What's the end there? And a lot of times children and, to be honest, adults, too, have a little difficult time trying to really specify what the goal is. And if, if you're not aware of the goal or the end or the, where you're trying to get the destination, then the plan doesn't, you don't have the motivation for it very much. So if that same little girl could think in a little different way and say, well, my goal by the end of this year is to be able to play all the songs in piano book three without a mistake or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm just yeah, saying, if, if, if you have a goal, <laughs> if you have a destination, you know what you're trying to get to, the end point, then the plan, oh, practice an hour a day, sure, because that's the only way I'll get to that goal, right? So the end and the means, the, the, the path and the destination. And we like, we, I, I, again, I don't know quite why this fascinates me so much, but I'm, I'm so intrigued with the question, is Jesus Christ the end or the means? And a lot of people would instantly say, well, he's both because he is what we want to become. He's the perfect example of everything. That is the end. That's what we're striving for over the eternities. But he's also the means because of the atonement and because of the, the gospel that he taught us and so on. So I... I think I'd agree that he's both the end and the means. Yeah, I would too. And as you mentioned that, I mean, there there is such a difference between goals and plans, which he personifies perfectly. But, you know, in the summer, that's we spend so much time with our kids with summer goals. Yeah. We always have them set summer goals. And what is it that you want to accomplish by the end of this summer? And this is a good time for parents to think about that. What is it that you want to accomplish? And then when they know what their goal is, and maybe in different sections, in music or athletics or whatever, right, right. reading, whatever, um, then if they write it down, that this makes means and ends so meaningful to children. Yeah, if ch children, because it's really such a simple concept, right? right? If you have a goal that's a place you want to get, and then you write a little plan on how to get there, that's one of the most amazing skills you can teach a child. And little kids can, can learn that 
that go that that process. They yeah. can learn to think that way. From three up, that really is so crucial. And you are the master of that, honey, because we did always set our kids down during the summer and said, "What are your summer? What are your summer goals?" Yeah, not and mine, then, not my goals for right. you, but what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And then, what's your plan? And then have them actually write out exactly what they're going to do. They didn't exactly do all that. <laughs> but but it was, they, they did more they than did they would have. They did have it in their mind, yeah. And they, they did a lot more than they, than they would have otherwise. But, le, but let's elevate this now to this question of, of Christ and, and the parental God. And, and I think a really interesting way to think about it is that if you were just to ask a person of faith, particularly a person uh, who really had studied the gospel and who really believed in in God and in progression toward becoming more like God if you said what's the destination what's the goal what's the end uh, that person might very well say and correctly so that the goal is exaltation we have this word in our particular church that exaltation means returning to live with God and to be enough like him that we can exist in the place where he is and and seeing god as a heavenly father and a heavenly mother that we want to return as family so exaltation if you say well that's the end that's the goal then what christ becomes is totally the means to get there he is the only means there's no other way in which we can return to our heavenly parents other than through christ and his healing his atoning, his sacrifice for us, and his example of what we're striving to be. Well, that opens a big, um, a big hole for a lot of people, though. Yeah, sure. Um, because uh, we're not saying we're exclusive because we believe in Jesus Christ, but we're saying at some point in eternity, that is the portal. I mean, all of our beautiful friends who are. Buddhists and Muslim and Sikh and all these other religions who, you know, and the Muslims believe in Christ. Um, they, but they, in a different way. In a sure. different way. But they eventually will come around to the fact that Jesus is the way. And we don't know how that's going to happen. We don't condemn anybody for not knowing that. But it is really pretty remarkable that at some point that is gonna, that is going to happen. Well, and those who worship Christ um, do well to think very hard about who he is and what he is and what things he embodies and so on, what roles he has played in the eternity of man in, in, the, in this earth, in mortality and in the life after this life and in the life before this life. And so we thought it would be interesting to... Um, to think about those roles for a minute as we think about Christ as our elder brother and our example of what we're all trying to become and as the only begotten son of our heavenly parents. So we're going to read you a list of 20 roles that we think Christ plays in the drama of mortality and of eternity. And some of these you will have thought of before and they're very familiar to you. Others of these might be new to you. So think for a minute about, about eternity as a three-act play. There's the act that, that came before we came to this life. 
We believe in a pre-mortal life where Jesus played an enormous role. The second act is this life we're in now, and the third act is what comes beyond this life. And it is just quite astounding and quite awe-inspiring to think that Jesus Christ played the lead, basically played all the leading roles in this mortality. Right. So we're going to read these alternatingly. There's 20 of them. We're going to pause, read them fairly slow, and have you think for a minute about Jesus in this role, and then in this role, and then in this role, and so on. So we'll say the number, and then we'll we'll say the role as we go from okay, one to so, twenty. Number one, a great intelligence prior to the creation of this world. We know that's true. Number two, the firstborn spirit son of our heavenly parents. Number three, a great and loyal leader in the spirit world. We we believe that we were in a an amazing spirit world before we came here. And we had our intelligence, and we, our leader was Jesus Christ. Because that's number four, the leading advocate of the plan of agency and redemption for this mortality, and the one who insisted that all credit and glory be given to the Father. Number five, the accepted volunteer for the supremely difficult and self-sacrificing implementation of that plan of agency and redemption. Number six, the creator of this world. That's one that I didn't realize as a child. Number seven, the light of this world. Number eight, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament. Our testimony in faith is that this same being, this this supernal elder brother, was also the God of the Old Testament, who's referred to as Jehovah. And we'll come back to that one in a minute, because that's a difficult one for some people. That's another one that I did not know as a child. So let's go on. The only be- number nine, the only begotten Son of the Father in the flesh. Which all Christians accept and believe. Number ten, the only perfect being to ever live on this earth. Number eleven, the head of the original Church of Jesus Christ. Number twelve, the teacher of the full gospel. Number thirteen, the Savior and Redeemer of the world who willingly gave his life for all of us. Number 14, the first fruits of a glorious resurrection, which, because of him, will apply to all of us. Number 15, the direct resurrected teacher of the gospel to his other sheep, quote-unquote, in other parts of this world, in the spirit world, to the lost ten tribes. Number 16, our mediator with the Father. Number 17, the revealer and restorer of the fullness of his gospel. Number 18, the Lord who will come again and reign during the millennium. Number 19, our judge. And number 20, our father in the sense that he becomes the father of those who accept him and live his commandments. So, Linda, just imagine those 20, any one of those roles would be awesomely important, but that Jesus Christ played all 20 of those roles. It's pretty amazing. Well, we've run out of time, but we really, we really want to end with just one little thought very quickly. 
Um, little children sometimes say it the most simply. We asked our daughter once, who is Jesus? She said, our big brother. We said, where did he come from? Why did he come to earth? She said, to teach us how to love each other and show us how it works when we die. We asked, what is he doing now? She responded with a knowing little shrug, he's taking care of us from way up there. And we really believe that. We hope you do too. Thanks for joining us today on Ayers on the Road. See you next time. Bye-bye.